Hey, and welcome to Good Vibes Only, a wholesome newscast to hopefully bring some good vibes to your day. Each episode, we'll look at some really cool, sometimes cozy, but always uplifting things happening around the world, look at some wholesome content, highlight an organization doing incredible work in their communities, and read out some amazing things that maybe don't make it to the news. All of this to hopefully remind you that things are not entirely terrible. All the links to the original articles and organizations will be in the description. With that being said, Let's hop into this week's news. So I don't know how many of you are familiar with Lisa Frank or if I'm just dating myself, but her stickers and coloring books were pretty much my whole childhood. Well, she recently released a collaboration with Crocs to design these very retro, colorful Crocs, and I began going down the nostalgia hole. So if you'd also like a dose of 90s nostalgia, a 24-year-old woman from Norfolk in England launched a new business of customizing vintage denim jackets. Connie Wardale was 13 years old when she was diagnosed with chronic fatigue syndrome and fibromyalgia, which has made it difficult for her to maintain work with how certain places can be unaccommodating with chronic illness. Both chronic fatigue syndrome and fibromyalgia are chronic conditions. CFS is associated with intense, well, fatigue to the point where it's difficult to do daily activities, though it can be accompanied with other symptoms like muscle pains and heart palpitations. And fibromyalgia can cause pain all over the body, increase sensitivity to pain, and muscle stiffness. Wardale has since found a way to make a living through her business. She was inspired after working for a glitter bar company and helping out with weddings and festivals, and when her own wedding was put on hold due to COVID-19, she was inspired to start up her business. Bells and Whistles, Wardell's company, sells customized vintage jackets for bridal parties, festivals, weddings, and other events. She buys pre-loved jackets from Vinted, which is a second-hand online shop for apparel and accessories. From there, she personalizes each item per request. In addition to that, she also runs an Etsy shop, which sells these really cute and stylish denim jackets and bags that she's customized with her own designs. Wardale spoke to Norwich Evening News about how much it meant to her to have something to call her own, saying that having a chronic illness and managing your health feels like having a full-time job many days, so she feels especially proud and thrilled to have her own business. The link to her business Facebook page and Etsy shop are in the description, and I will say that they do have a very vintage feel to them. It would make a really cute addition to spruce up a wedding or festival with an extra pop, like the denim jacket would look really nice over a white wedding dress, or you can combo it with so many other things, so I highly recommend checking it out. So I'm starting to realize that an episode of Good Vibes is not complete without some sort of really wholesome animal news, and that hasn't changed for this episode. Now, I want you to picture that you're walking down the street of your neighborhood, and then you look up and see a makeshift little train with dogs in each train car, because that is exactly what one family in Florida does for their dogs every Friday morning. Alice and Paul Johnston used to run an animal rescue shelter in Costa Rica, and when they moved to Florida, they brought more than a dozen dogs with them that they'd rescued from the street. And naturally, walking that many dogs is a bit of a challenge, and so they got creative. After being inspired by the story of a Texas man doing the same thing, Paul Johnston built a mini dog train with train cars that look a bit like a bike sidecar, and the train is pulled using a riding lawnmower, with Alice usually on the scooter behind the train to make sure all the pups are safe. These weekly trips have since become a staple, not just for the dogs, who are super excited whenever Friday comes around, but for the community and neighborhood too. Alice Johnston spoke about how people will wait for them to pass by and have dog treats on hand to give to the dogs when they pass by. 
The Johnstons have used this rise in popularity to encourage people to adopt from shelters, having put signs on the train about this. They don't wish to publicize their dog train, dubbed the Wonderland Express. They're just happy to be able to bring these dogs joy, give them a good life, and spread the word about the joys of adopting. This next one is one of my favorite stories that I found this week. After supporting her best friend who was battling cancer, Jacqueline Castanis started an organization to help those fighting illness to still feel beautiful. Castanis's best friend, Brooke, was diagnosed at 27 with cancer. And so Jacqueline went home and practically lived with her in her hospital room. And she realized that the hospital environment could be a very bleak and dreary environment. And so Castanis would bring hair and makeup products to do whatever she could to lift Brooke's spirits. And she found that this worked to help lift her spirits. And in memory of her, Castanis started a nonprofit organization called Simply from the Heart. She wanted to find a way to help boost other people's spirits who are battling illness. So she began to visit hospitals to give these really beautiful makeovers and give hair products and makeup products as well. She would go with volunteers that are now called the Glam Squad to pamper individuals suffering from terminal illness or life-threatening disease and undergoing extensive hospital treatment. They do manicures, mini makeup application, hairstyling, hand massages, and of course, conversation just to have that added human interaction. While the organization started in Illinois, there are chapters all across the United States. Glam boxes get filled with 30 beauty products that come from donations. And since 2014, they've put together thousands of glam boxes and helped more than 5,000 patients. For Castanis, she wanted the experience to be more than just about beautifying, but to reignite the light within them through friendship, kindness, and a bit of glam. No one should be removed of those things because it really allows you to take on your life when you feel good about yourself. I feel pretty because being in the hospital, you don't really do much, but being pampered is really nice. She wanted it to be an experience that felt like Christmas morning or any other magical moment. The glam boxes all have a bunch of fun colors and designs, face painting, all things to let the person choose what they want and feel like a person again rather than a patient. I'm always endlessly amazed at the creativity and innovation that people have to improve the environment in their own communities. And that is precisely what's happening in Hawaii, where a mobile grassroots cardboard shredding organization is bringing communities together, all while helping the environment. So I didn't know this before the article, but paper and cardboard were the largest components of municipal solid waste in the United States back in 2018. And 32% of it was incinerated or left in landfills where it released methane as it deteriorated. And methane is one of the leading contributors to climate change. In Hawaii, some cardboard ends up in landfills, but most is packaged and shipped to Asia because of a lack of recycling facilities, which is still very costly. So, Evan Lamb decided to do something about it. He founded Circle Pack, which travels to partner organizations where residents and businesses drop off clean cardboard to be shredded by community volunteers. This shredded cardboard is then used for packing or given away to be used as mulch or composting for farms or gardens. Lamb has always been interested in sustainability, but he had the idea for the company after speaking with his mothers, who own a non-toxic nail polish business and paid high costs for a packaging company for them. So he researched how to make packaging from cardboard and started making the materials himself. From there, he was introduced to Chantel Chung, co-founder of the Maono Community Garden, 
who had long been shredding cardboard by hand for her vermicomposting operation, which involved 16 worm bins used to process food waste to avoid it having to go to the landfill. Vermicomposting is probably what you're thinking. Earthworms are used to convert organic waste and materials into fertilizer, and it's used in a lot of sustainable farming. Cardboard is also an important part of this. It helps to separate the carbon in the soil, and as it decomposes, it supplies energy to the microbes in the soil, helping to improve its quality and making it an affordable option for those in agriculture. Chung has since established a 24-7 community cardboard drop-off, and with the community, on every third Saturday, she and Lam have a shred day, where volunteers in the local area come and help shred hundreds of pounds of clean cardboard. Lam has shredded around 22,000 pounds since he started Circle Park in 2020, and Chung has found that farmers and gardeners have been more excited about having the shredded cardboard to use on their own farms. She hopes that their initiatives and work can continue the conversation for community-based development and to develop not only partnerships, but greater connections with one another in our communities. Carrying on from some really cool environmental news, indigenous communities in the Mexican state of Oaxaca have taken on the challenge of transforming a desert landscape into the rich forest that it once was. 22 communities have worked together to restore at least 49,000 acres, the equivalent to three Manhattans, turning multiple sites into growing forests. Tepejillo is one municipality where extreme erosion has turned the area into one with bare rock to the point where you may not even know that it had once been home to a forest or civilization. In fact, before the Spanish arrived in the 14 and 1500s, the forest supported a city of over 100,000 people, according to Horatio Miguel, the mayor of the Mixteca Alta region. With overgrazing, eroded territory, and other detrimental extractive practices, most of the population have migrated elsewhere. Now, its 2,800 residents struggle to even get water due to the land being devoid of vegetation in certain areas and unable to retain or filter rainwater. However, 20 years ago, the communities decided to embark on a mission to restore the water and soil fertility. And that task is much easier said than done as communities are basically starting from less than zero. Because there was no vegetation to restore, they had to begin by crushing stones to retain moisture and then find plants that would be best for regenerating the soil. Their efforts have borne some results though, with the soil becoming fertile enough to plant pines, oaks, and juniper trees, all planted last year. In another community in Oaxaca, 4,900 acres of land in San Juan Bautista, Oaxaca have been reforested since 2000. The fruits of this restoration is part of the Chocho Mixtecas Community Alliance. Because of their work, communities have water, crops, and new businesses and opportunities to help them prosper and lower rates of migration. Local species have already begun to grow, and with the urgency of water fading, residents are able to move beyond production for basic needs and move towards resources that help bolster sustainability. Wildlife have also begun to return with squirrels, bats, coyotes, and more. The coyotes are an especially promising return because they eat juniper seeds that later become spread throughout the area, which is a natural reforestation mechanism. Idalia Lazaro, a forest technician working in the region for over a decade, said that while the work is hard, she believes that restoration, even in the worst of cases, is possible. Now, I always put links to articles in the description, but I highly recommend reading the full article to really get a sense of the challenges and the incredible work that's been done towards restoration that I didn't cover here. 
Like I said, I can't get enough of stories about animals, apparently, but this one does have a bit of a twist. An Atlanta nonprofit has spearheaded a new program to provide an alternative to sentencing that keeps men out of jail. The organization, Canine Cellmates, was created back in 2013, working with inmates in Fulton County Jail to learn to train shelter dogs for adoption. The program's goals were not only to help the dogs find forever homes, but to help the men learn life skills as well. And last year, they began their new program called Beyond the Bars. Under this program, instead of being incarcerated or continuing within the legal system, the participants commit to training shelter dogs for a year at a new canine cellmates facility. One of the first graduates of the first phase of the program, which ended in December of last year, spoke about how the experience helped him to find a job as a bark ranger at a dog park and that the program helped him to get a second chance at life. The organization has worked with 400 men and more than 150 shelter dogs have been adopted. The founder, Susan Jacobs Meadows, noted that often when someone is in the system, there are little resources for them when it comes to re-entry. And the same is true for the dogs, who are often typically pulled from Fulton County Animal Services. The idea of dog training programs having a positive impact like this is not necessarily new. After all, the nonprofit Human Animal Bond Research Institute has shown numerous studies that document these positive effects. One Kansas study found that there was significant improvement in the participants' moods and a sense of being connected to community through the training, and community and a sense of belonging is tied to lower recidivism rates. Still, it's the personal stories that show just how powerful the program can be. Another program participant, Doug Phillips, helped train dogs during his incarceration in 2018 as he went through the drug and alcohol recovery program. The skills that he learned were things that he also took in other aspects of his life, and he has since gone on to become a certified addiction recovery empowerment specialist at another nonprofit. And of course, he currently owns a dog himself. A game developer based in France is creating video games that aim to promote the richness of African culture and challenge negative stereotypes of Africa. Teddy Kosoko, the owner of the Maseka Game Studio, which primarily creates mobile games, was inspired to develop these games after seeing how many people at his university played video games and the power that games had in immersing someone in a new culture and environment. He realized that he wanted to use these games to bring this folklore and history to life. And inspired by famous footballers and other African heroes, he began to make games for that purpose. The audience for his games is twofold. He wants to teach others about Africa's history, but to also teach other Africans who may not know their own history and let them know that it begins long before slavery and colonization. Kosoko wants to combat that by saying, hey, there's so much richness that you may not even know about, and that's okay. And that's why he does this and does this work of integrating games and culture. The first game, Kosoro Tribal Game, was inspired by a popular board game in the Central African Republic. And their latest game, Golden Georges, has a main character inspired by Liberian footballer and current president George Weah. Kosoko hopes that the African video game industry can continue to grow and provide more opportunities for aspiring creators and developers to tell their stories. We must teach young people to love themselves, to value themselves. There is a huge problem with this, and for us, that is the heart of our creations. We really want people to deconstruct the things that have been put in their heads that they are not beautiful, that they are useless, that they are good for nothing, etc. 
All right, so this isn't exactly new, but I came across this article in Vox and I was super fascinated by it. It's a New Orleans tradition called Second Line. So Second Line can be used at weddings or parades and also funerals. The funeral second lines are sometimes called jazz funerals. To put it very simply, it's a parade of celebrants and mourners that make their way through the streets. The first line is the casket, family, and musicians, and the second line is the crowd of community members and mourners that follow. In New Orleans, this also includes a brass band. But these second lines have become community events with hundreds of people joining in the procession. In Vox's article, one of the people interviewed said that she came from an era of being in your house, hearing music and going second line and then running outside to join. The origin of second line has its roots in West Africa and having been brought to New Orleans by enslaved Africans, with second line having links to funeral practices in Senegal, Gambia and other West African countries. It is a practice where collective movement and community becomes a part of the mourning process. As Vox so eloquently put it, in New Orleans, grief doesn't exist without laughter, without dancing, without the movement of bodies and the reminder that death, no matter how somber, is a part of life. It is also a reminder that grief, though deeply personal and unique to each individual, doesn't have to be felt in isolation. The second line allows room for anyone wanting a place to grieve and provides a template for how to normalize collective grieving. Just last year, artist Sonia Clark began the Beaded Prayers Project to honor residents of Detroit that passed due to COVID-19. As part of this project, residents sat together and crafted prayer pouches while sharing stories about their loved ones and creating mementos. For funeral second lines, the procession always begins with a dirge and slow mournful song like a rendition of a hymn. And then the procession forms a tunnel that the body passes on the way to the cemetery and perhaps to the next life. After the dirge ends, the tempo changes and shifts into a celebratory spirit, and the casket goes to the final resting place, with handkerchiefs being raised in the air. Then begins the buck jumping and dancing of liberation through the streets, filled with laughter, encouragement, and ultimately, love. So this week, because of some of the stories I've highlighted, I thought for the organization, I'd focus on one that does work with people struggling with chronic illnesses. Social Butterflies is a local nonprofit based in Newport News, Virginia, that helps people with lupus and fibromyalgia to live healthy and happy lives. They help with medical expenses and financial assistance for medications and basic needs, and they also provide caregiving services and support groups. The organization was founded by Chastity Corbett, who was diagnosed with systemic lupus in 2005 after getting a master's in criminal justice. I talked about fibromyalgia earlier in the episode, but lupus is an autoimmune disease that happens when your body's immune system attacks your own tissues and organs. Lupus can cause joint pain, skin rashes, tiredness, inflammation of different body parts like the lungs and kidneys, and symptoms often flare up and then settle down and then repeat the cycle. Corbett went on to found the Social Butterflies Foundation to let others with lupus and fibromyalgia know that they are not alone and provide support for survivors. The organization also focuses on outreach to underserved groups like working class people who may have additional challenges to accessing essential care. Additionally, they work with youth and youth advocacy. They offer a scholarship for survivors and children of survivors to help fulfill their college aspirations. And each year for their annual walk, called the Butterfly Walk for Lupus and Fibro, they recognize a young lupus or fibro survivor. 
The Butterfly Walk, which is virtual this year, takes place on June 11, 2022, and because it is virtual, it can be attended from anywhere. If you'd like to check out their work and support them, you can check out the link in the description. And lastly, this week's media recommendation actually came from a friend who recommended this show to me, and I binge-watched the whole thing in two days and cried at about 7 out of 10 of the episodes, so I want to recommend a show called Kotoro Lives Alone, which is an anime show on Netflix that is about a 4-year-old boy named Kotoro Sato who moves next door by himself to a struggling manga artist and befriends the people in his apartment. I do want to say, though, that it does touch on themes of child abuse, so please be mindful of that if you decide to watch it, but I can honestly say that it is one of the most well-done, found-family-type shows that I have seen in a long time, and they did a really good job of handling the topics that they did and creating a well-written child character. The main voice actress, Charami Lee, who voices Kotoro, does a fantastic job at voicing a child character who has been forced to grow up too fast, but is still undoubtedly a child. And I mean that in the most beautiful and heartwarming way with how he gets excited about this and that and his belief in people still. And it's just, it, it's so beautiful. I cannot recommend it enough. And one final thing, I know that my recommendation this week was not a game, but I did want to say that the Wholesome Direct, which is a showcase of all the wholesome games releasing in the near future, is taking place this June. Wholesome Games started out as a community of people who wanted to highlight the cozy side of video games and introduce people to new games that they have not heard of otherwise. And it's also a way for indie developers to get the word out of their games as well. It's still a few months away, but it was just announced recently, so if you're someone who enjoys video games or has an interest in some of the games I've recommended previously, I definitely recommend checking it out when it premieres. That's all we have this week, though I have only scratched the surface of the amazing work being done in communities and the little bits of joy that we have in our everyday lives. Thank you so much for listening. I hope that this week brings you love, laughter, joy, and all the other wonderful things that life has to offer. If you have good news to share, whether it's you or your local community, feel free to email me at wholesomenewscast at gmail.com or on Instagram at wholesomenewscast. And if you want to support, the link to my Ko-Fi is in the description. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.